Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today's holiday short comes from Omar, who asks, mortgage providers generally want people to have an income of above £25,000 a year, and rental income does not count towards that minimum income requirement. So how do full-time property investors with no job other than investing in property attain a mortgage? If you have any plans to go into full-time property and live off the rental income, then this episode is going to be essential listening. So let's hear Omar's story and see how I responded to the topic of getting mortgages as a full-time property investor now then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So this is, this is exactly what Omar had to say. Hi, I'm new to property investing. I'm based in Southwest London. I'm looking to buy my first investment property very soon. But I have a couple of questions I'm struggling to find answers to. And hopefully someone on this forum will be able to help. Mortgage providers generally want people to have an income of above £25,000 a year. And rental income does not count towards that minimum income requirement. So how do full-time property investors with no job other than investing in property attain a mortgage? Because their only source of income will be from rent. Also, I've read that mortgage providers prefer people to have uh, a few mortgage buy-to-let properties, but not too many. So again, how do full-time property investors attain a mortgage when the mortgage companies don't lend to people with a large amount of past or present mortgages? Many thanks, Omar. Yes, and uh, and here's my uh, here's my response to that as I posted on the forum, and I'll try and add to it as I go along. Um, I focus more on the first point than the second point, but I'm going to pick up the second point as well. Hi Omar, you make an observation that many fail to consider. It's more a question about portfolio growth planning than anything else. <clears throat> if you remember, Omar said he hasn't started yet, and he, was, he this is a question on his mind. Most people don't think about this to begin with, so uh, it's a it's a good good thing to think about but as you'll hear later not necessarily to get too bogged down with either. I hear a lot of people say that they want to go full-time in property when they are unaware of some of the little traps and potential gotchas that can crop up. Access to lending potentially falls into this category as you have identified Omar. There are at least uh, three ways that someone can generate money which simplistically speaking are income from employment, investment income, and capital gains. Now, most mainstream lenders in the buy-to-let space do indeed require a minimum level of income from employment, which can include self-employment. And as you say, will often ignore capital gains, investment income, and definitely cash generated from debt, say if remortgaging. But perhaps more on that last point another time, because uh, I've got a view on that too. But the the most practical way to uh, plan to gain access to as wide a lending market as possible is to ensure that you generate sufficient employment income, usually £25,000 or more, as you identified, 
to be able to put a tick in the box with most lenders in the buy-to-let space uh, who have a minimum income requirement. £25,000 will get you over 90% access to the market. There's a couple who perhaps have a higher income bar. Um, there's one or two who don't have any, and I'll come on to that in a minute. But uh, most people that go full-time in property will therefore have a mixture of income from employment, whether that's full-time or part-time, uh, employed or self-employed and also outside of renting property directly. So planning the migration does come into play. And I know you said, uh, assume that they had no job or no other income source, but I'm kind of saying you might need to have that. That's sort of what I'm where I'm going with this. Uh, but it's not exclusive, so don't lose the faith just yet. But then as I mentioned, lenders are looking for income from employment. So aim to create or maintain some employment income to at least sit alongside the rental profits. And ideally, if you can get to the employment income to be £25,000 a year or more, great. In examples outside of property would include working part-time uh, or becoming self-employed for at least two years first, because you're going to need one or two years accounts to prove uh, self-employed income with most lenders. But some examples within property include property trading profits. So obviously property rental income is classed as investment income, but property trading income is, is a trading profit and it's, it's classed as a different category. So uh, get some, uh, I call it lumpy money, <laughs> property trading profit. So, you know, somewhere between six and 12 months for a typical flip project, get a bit of a lumpy money and you can withdraw that and take it as, as income. Um, obviously, it's, it's going to be more unpredictable and, you know, you might need to do more than one project to get over 25,000 a year, depending on the sort of scale that you're operating at. Uh, but other examples could include uh, income as a, as a letting agent or, or a property manager um, or delivering other property related services such as project management, deal sourcing and so on. Uh, now, I mention these because what often happens when people progress in property in their property journey is that sometimes some of these opportunities arise naturally. So, for example, letting agent, um, as you grow your portfolio, uh, or rather as some people grow their portfolio, they, they have indeed created their own property management or letting agency to manage their own properties. And a natural extension of that might be to take on somebody else's um, property, another, another investor's property as well. So you create a, an income stream um, out of your own need, essentially. And most people do find that setting up a letting agency business for yourself is expensive. So um, taking on other people's properties to manage at the same time can help subsidize the cost. So that's an example. And if you have skills, such as being a property manager, for argument's sake, then you could perhaps deliver those as a service to other investors. Um, Project management is uh, is another example. Deal sourcing. For example, uh, my property deal tip service that I offer now as a subscription uh, is an income stream to me, but it's uh, it was born out of surplus deals I just couldn't do myself. I'm looking at um, opportunities regularly. I just couldn't cope with that volume. And so it naturally made sense for me to think about what I could do with them. And so I turned it into a subscription service, uh, which, of course, is a, an extra revenue stream. Uh, and I'll talk about maybe how that's structured later on. But all this will be uh, simpler to ring fence and account for in a separate legal entity, such as a limited company. 
So if you just put it all into the same pot and then put it in your tax return at the end of the year, it might get a bit blurry and a bit messy. So maybe putting it in a limited company um, might help. I'm not giving any specific tax or legal advice here, just suggesting perhaps a, something to consider. Uh, but do beware if you create a limited company, though, because uh, the temptation, of course, is to pay yourself dividends. Now, the, the dividend income has been, you know, the, the, sorry, dividend income benefit has been uh, curtailed quite significantly um, of late. And so, um, yeah, I think it's £2,000 a year now, which is kind of tax free. So it's not a massive benefit anymore. But it used to be the case that it was, you know, you could pay yourself a lot in dividends and avoid a lot of tax and national insurance as a result. But that's been paid back quite significantly. But so be careful with dividends is what I'm trying to say, as dividend income is classed as investment income by many lenders. So you may need to pay a salary uh, and it would then be classed as self-employment if it was your own company. So in that case, as I mentioned, I think earlier, uh, you would need one or two years accounts uh, to demonstrate uh, a track record of self-employment so that they could rely on the figures, the lender that is, and also have to pay national insurance as well, employers national insurance as well. So in other words, if you pay yourself 25000 a year, you're probably going to have to pay another, what, 2500 or 3000 on top uh, to the tax man for employers national insurance. And of course, you pay your own PAYE national insurance and tax to the tax man as well. So it's not a cheap um, uh, solution. And it kind of goes against, you know, maybe what some tax and accountants might advise you to do. But there's a price attached to getting continued lending, uh, sadly. But, you know, uh, I think just be aware of that. And some full-time investors deliberately set out to have multiple income streams. So they could do the odd flip or two for trading profits, as I mentioned. They could do uh, some kind of fee-based work, such as consultancy, training, mentoring, or they could run other service-based businesses, such as deal sourcing, as I mentioned earlier. And finally, some have separate businesses set up alongside their property business. So they're not necessarily directly related to property. Um, you know, they could be, you know, selling stuff on eBay for argument's sake. Um, so, you know, non-trading business, non-property trading businesses, uh, they could collect royalties from their published intellectual property, such as through a book. Um, they could have a pension if they're, if they're retired uh, or retired early from 55, you can start to draw a pension now. Um, share investing dividends, um, income and um, uh, from, a, from a share portfolio if it's outside of an ISA. Um, obviously, ISA just keeps it within that. It's not then classed as personal income. So uh, what you're spotting a theme here, and I'll come on to this as I conclude. Uh, what works for one doesn't always work for the other is kind of the theme. But I'll come back to that. Um, but the, the other one is to have in, in, you know, investment interest uh, for, by maybe you know, lending money or bonds and that, that kind of thing. So dividend and interest income also counts. So it does all add up, but it also adds to the complexity as well, as you probably no doubt gathering. But <laughs> if you don't want to bother with any of all that stuff, uh, all is not lost if you don't have any employment income or these multiple income streams, is there are in fact some specialist lenders that understand that being full-time, I'm sorry, being a full-time landlord is in fact a proper job. <laughs> so they will lend to you based on your rental profits. Um, however, due to changes in law, policy and tax treatment, they, they're a smaller number now, um, and they'll often set higher affordability criteria, especially if you're investing in your own name. 
personal name that is. However, many larger portfolio landlords have decided to invest through a company structure. And again, I'm not advising you to do that. Um, but um, And obviously, it's going to be hard to change at the later date if you start personally and then want to switch to a company structure later. There's some implications to doing that. It might cost you money to make the transfer in stamp duty and capital gains tax, for example. So have an eye on the future when you're setting up is kind of what I'm saying. Um, so the larger portfolio landlords often invest through a company structure and there are several commercial lenders that will lend um, and operate in this sector. And you know, one of my tips would be to not have all your eggs in one basket with any particular lender. Uh, try and spread it around a little bit. Um, you, you might not find hundreds of them as you will with personal buy to let if you've got less than say five properties, which there are hundreds, maybe not hundreds of lenders, certainly hundreds of product, uh, products. Um, so yeah, it's, um, but you'll find a good handful and I would suggest you spread it around a little bit between them. Um, and once you get to that stage, trust me, there are ways and means of, uh, of skinning this proverbial cat. But I probably can't leave this topic without, um, you know, thinking about something that's, you know, sharing something that's on my mind. Um, and I think that's a, that's a case of, oh, I think I talked about, yeah, excuse me, before I do the wrap up. I also wanted to add your second something on your second point, which is around um, lenders not liking you know you to have too many properties. You often find uh, yes, lenders have criteria. Uh, they'll say maximum of three properties or maximum of ten or something to that effect. That's one of the reasons why I suggest spreading it around. In fact, uh, is to kind of meet their criteria. So spread it around to hit their criteria. It, some of them have a maximum number with them individually. Some of them have a maximum number overall. But what you'll find is as you get into larger, you know, you won't have a problem probably up between up to, you know, maybe 20 to 50 properties. You won't have any real problems in, in getting access to lending. Once you get above 50, perhaps you're in slightly different territory, but other opportunities will open up to you is what I'm saying there. So maybe if you've got zero at the moment and you want to get to 50 or above. Well, maybe that's a problem you can think about when you've got 50. <laughs> so uh, you'll get there and you'll get lending is kind of the summary of what I'm trying to say there. But anyway, I did want to wrap up. And um, whilst planning the future is good, uh, it's a good thing to do, Omar. So you haven't started yet. Um, uh, so it's good to keep an eye on the future and consider these things. But what I would say is making a start is still the best thing, uh, the best step to take. Because we usually figure these things out as we go and then we make changes as we do. Um, but without starting, we don't have a problem to fix later. And so it doesn't really make much difference with your first one or two properties anyway, in all honesty. Uh, even if you go and invest in your personal name, it's probably easier to get a buy-to-let mortgage in your personal name anyway. Um, the tax take won't be massive, let's say. Probably not. I mean, there could be certain situations where that's not quite true. Um, but if you've got an idea on scaling, maybe you should talk to an accountant and see whether a limited company might suit you. Hint, hint, I think it might. Uh, but there's a tipping point. So if you only want, you know, something, if you want four to eight properties and you're a basic rate taxpayer, for argument's sake, then, you know, the general uh, conceived wisdom is that a limited company is not necessary. But I think if, if you're a high rate taxpayer or you plan to grow your property portfolio significantly, then, you know, again, people are looking at limited company structures and that sort of thing. But as I, as I mentioned, and I've probably said quite a few times, we get rewarded for fixing problems. So go and create yourself a problem is my takeaway point there. But really, the final point I want to say is do go and speak to a decent whole of market mortgage broker. 
uh, and contact me if you want um, a referral uh, and a good tax advisor as well and talk to both uh, because keep in mind what works best for one uh, from a tax point of view doesn't always work best for the other from a lending point of view and vice versa. So trying to minimize tax doesn't always make things good from a lending point of view. So you might have to trade off a bit, as I mentioned earlier about paying yourself a salary and then having to pay tax and national insurance. Um, so uh, keep this in mind very much. Um, if uh, so talk to both is really what I'm saying. And I will say this, lending is more important than tax mitigation in my personal opinion. If you have uh, any ideas or aspirations to grow, access to lending and financing is going to be the fuel to help you grow. Whereas tax is just something, it's, it tells you you're doing well. Uh, you pay tax if you're doing well, take, take tax on profits. I'm not saying don't look at tax, but just don't let the tax tail wag the property investment dog, that's all. So that was really my um, summary to Omar. And obviously it goes to say uh, anything, anyone else who's sort of at, at the early stages of their property investing journey. So that's my holiday short for this week. And another one's coming up next week. And as a reminder, the show notes can be found over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Or if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk property investing more generally, you know you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. But once again... All I'd like to say this time is thank you very much for listening this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.